your business can gain commercial insight, key networking opportunities, and be part of the discussion as it happens in the global aeronautical and aerospace sector. Learn how to contribute to best practices and support the world's largest body of aeronautical and aerospace professionals by joining the Royal Aeronautical Society Corporate Partner Scheme. Visit www.aerosociety.com membership. We are proud to present the following lecture. All content published by the Royal Aeronautical Society is subject to our website terms of use. Visit aerosociety.com for more information. Thank you very much, um, Tim, for such a warm introduction and to the Society um, asking me to come and speak to you tonight. I don't have slides, so you, I'll try to keep you awake. Um, as I'm followed by a drinks reception, um, I don't intend to take a full hour, that's the good news. Um, uh, as my main subjects are uh, trade, WTO and Brexit, and um, how we navigate those subjects, it could have been longer, but I'm going to spare you that. So I am going to talk about the past, I'm sorry, in order to understand what are our challenges for the future. Um, but as you said, just a couple of weeks ago, Airbus turned 50. Now, I don't intend to um, reveal how much I beat uh, Airbus to that 50, um, but uh, it was a hot day, um, and all our employees in Toulouse and across the world gathered to mark the event. Uh, the sun was shining, and we were celebrating the delivery of 300 aircraft so, so far this year. We, we hope to deliver uh, over 800, 890 to be precise. And it was a moment to reflect on our success, um, but it was not always guaranteed that this success would actually occur. If we go back to 1969, uh, the Wilson British government at the time had made it clear that they would not provide any financial support for the plan to develop uh, a wide-aisle uh, wide airliner. So, um, on the other hand, as usual, the French and Germans pledged to back it, um, the, to a, a European commercial aircraft programme, um, after so many failures of um, aircraft launched by national industries. So ultimately, without British involvement, the proposed A300, as it was called then, had no engine. Um, it was a glider. So um, that issue was finally solved with the General Electric CF6, which replaced the proposed Rolls-Royce RB207. But still, the aircraft had no wings. So uh, were the Europeans about to miss their chance uh, for a big role on the world still of commercial aircraft, no. Um, remember, at this stage, in the late 60s, Boeing and McDonnell Douglas had an 80% market share in the world. So we were non-existent. And Hawker Siddeley, predecessor of BA Systems, uh, delivered the wing, came to the rescue. And 50 years later, uh, we're nearing our 20,000th order. This is very difficult. And our 12,000th delivery. So this is really impressive. Um, and I think we're firmly entrenched in, we call it the duopoly, with Boeing, to their bitter frustration. So happy to be in this room to make that point. Um, as you know, Airbus is a world leader in the high-volume single-aisle market, seat, uh, over 150 seats. So the A318, well, in fact, A319, the A318, shouldn't have put that, we, we stopped that. A320, A321. A321LR, long range, and now last week we launched the A321XLR, uh, and that's going to be a big hit. Um, 
And uh, the wide body market, the A330, the A350 have been great successes, A350 more than 800 orders. And we're doing very well last week with the A330neo, the new engine option A330. Um, Virgin Atlantic ordered 14 aircraft. Um, and whilst the A380 uh, will be sadly ceasing production in 2021, um, I think you know, this is an emotional but a good economic decision. Uh, great aircraft, the public love it, but CFOs hated it of the airlines. So, you know, we've got to be realistic uh, and, and listen to the market. So, all that together, we're proud of what we've achieved in the last 50 years. So, um, our uh, order book is valued at $460 billion, um, and an Airbus takes off and lands every 1.4 seconds in the world. We have a market capital cap of 95 billion uh, euros, which means Airbus has now become the largest uh, industrial uh, company in Europe uh, in terms of market cap. Um, so some people might not like to hear this, and I'm sorry if I offend you, but international cooperation and European integration has been the key to this success. Um, at the heart of it has been stable political support, a Europe based on free movement of people, goods, and ideas, and ever-increasing integration between our businesses, our business divisions, and our nations. So that's what Airbus is about, um, a Europe working together to avoid conflict and war. Remember why uh, the European Union was created. People said, no war ever again. And the fact that we're so integrated and we, we send people over to uh, France, to Germany, to Spain, we become so integrated that a war just doesn't make sense. So, whilst 50 years of pioneering progress has delivered a 50% market share, it is not the time to rest on our laurels and sit back or enjoy the success. Um, let me give you a, few couple, a couple of facts to demonstrate this. By 2037, we will need 37,000 new aircraft to fulfil demand. Um, and I like to, a fact I like to often like to recite is that the, if the emerging Chinese middle class were to fly at the same rate as their American counterparts, it would require the use of every plane currently in service across the globe. So the, the 37,000 aircraft estimate is conservative, with a small c. So the challenges that are in front of us are vast, um, and that's why... Uh, a few short weeks ago, our new CEO, Guillaume Fauri, addressed uh, the society. Um, he talked about uh, the new executive committee, which he believes uh, the team around him is best prepared to describe what he calls our next chapter. And I'm honoured to have survived having been there for four years, and he kept me on. So Guillaume, and I agree with him, uh, believes that we have huge technological, digital and sustainability challenges in front of us. How can we seek to strengthen our environmental performance? There are people in Scandinavia who now refuse to take aircraft because they feel the 2% of global emissions come from our industry. So this is something that we have to address. Uh, we've got to reduce our carbon imprint. Um, we have to, safety, the 737 MAX grounded. This is good news for nobody. Um, we don't want any person to lose their life in an accident, whether be it a Boeing, be it an Airbus, be it a Bombardier. Uh, so we, safety is really core to everything that we, we do. Uh, and, and so retaining a reliable safety record, 
Um, you may know that in 2017 there was not one accident, not one loss of life in the civil aviation industry, which was the first forever. So the industry is becoming safer. And we mustn't lose our pioneering spirit and become bureaucratic uh, corporate officers. So what my boss has asked us is, um, what will the Airbus of the future look like? And then how can we make that a reality? Well, as Airbus's general counsel, I have the privilege of overseeing, obviously, the direct portfolio of the contracts, uh, all legal matters, compliance matters. But our organization, my organization, is embedded in every aspect of the business, and that's why it's a privilege to, to do this job. Aircraft financing, uh, procurement contracts, we're, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a WTO dispute, um, and managing the day-to-day -day existence of a, of a listed company, disclosures, the annual general meeting, the boards, the committees to the board. So we have a big team. We have over 450 lawyers um, all over the world. Um, some of them have kindly agreed to be here this evening, so it's nice to see them. They've heard this all before, and I apologize. Um, a very diverse, talented team that we're constantly renewing. In the French press this morning, uh, it was stated, and this is correct, that over the next uh, five to six years, we will have to recruit more than 50,000 people to replace people retiring. And that includes the legal community, finding the right people in the right places. Uh, so it's very challenging as demographic uh, challenges increase as well. So to address these challenges, we do need supportive governments. We can't avoid that. And we also need external experts. We're not shy to say so, including law firms. Um, so with those ideas in mind, I wanted to share with you some of my thoughts about the political and legal challenge that we need to navigate uh, to answer Guillaume Thorey's question about the next chapter. So before coming on to matters closer to home, I wanted to start talking about a challenge that is legal in its nature, but it's actually political in its roots. Now, you may be aware, you may not be aware, that the EU and the US are on the verge <clears throat> of a trade war over illegal subsidies. On the 9th of April, the US Trade Representative, USTR, issued a preliminary list of products that it suggested placing 100% tariffs on relating to the dispute that we've had since 2004. Now, the products proposed for tariff retaliation included new aircraft and helicopters coming into the US, as well as aircraft components imported. Now, remember, we have a uh, factory, a final assembly line in Mobile, Alabama. We also have final assembly lines and factories in Mississippi, in Texas. So parts, aircraft, could be tariffed. Obviously, that was a disaster. Eight days later, guess what happened? The EU issued its preliminary list of products, which included the same things. Um, so if we get into a tariff war, and these tariffs are applied, the effects would be disastrous. They would increase the costs to airlines, suppliers, manufacturers, and obviously a tightening of the global market for aircraft. And ultimately, fewer travel options for passengers and shippers. So it's a lose-lose scenario. Well, how did we get into this position? Uh, in 1992... Uh, the US and the EU concluded a bilateral agreement, we call it the 1992 agreement, in which the parties recognized a formula for balancing US direct grants, because they, they grant direct money to their industry, 
uh, often it's via the states, um, uh, versus the repayable loans, risk-sharing loans made by European governments. So um, I, I would say that sitting on the brink of a trade war, um, I, I, we've never really succeeded to sit down with the Americans and say, let's stop this. The US continued, even at the time when we had the agreement, to say that our, our launch investments were legal. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's a kind of, uh, the, the French call it a, a dialogue between two deaf people. And, and we've got to this position, and maybe in September we're actually going to be on the edge of the cliff. It's, it's absolutely crazy. So what happened in 2004 is the US unilaterally withdrew from the 1992 agreement, and they immediately filed a complaint at the WTO. And the WTO is, go is governed by what's called the ASCM, the Agreement on Subsidies and Countervailing Measures. And it's basically two, pa two pages of rules without any jurisprudence. That jurisprudence has been developed over the last 15 years. Um, so they filed a complaint um, covering everything that Airbus had ever received from the EU and EU countries, including the support that they'd previously agreed to in the 1992 agreement. So we had little choice but to, the EU had little choice but to respond uh, with a parallel WT, WTO challenge to the US government um, uh, support by, by the US to Boeing. And that's by federal, as I said, state and local authorities. So um, this included, very notably, uh, benefits to Boeing under the so-called US Foreign Sales Corporation Scheme at the FSC, which the US government's continued to provide to Boeing, despite these subsidies having repeatedly been found to violate WTO rules. So we have two parallel cases that have been running since 2004. The only people that have really come out well from this are the law firms, who've made lots of money. Um, so as the USA... And I was, by the way, this morning, I might look a bit tired because I got up at 4 a.m. and I had a meeting with the commission, DG Trade, to talk about this threat uh, with the, direct, the new director general, how worried we are about it. But as the USA threatened to burden the aerospace, aerospace sector with tariffs and new barriers, uh, US airlines will face serious challenges if tariffs are placed on aircraft because what will happen is if the US put tariffs, we will put tariffs. So if an aircraft... Fly, if we're delivering an A320 to Delta and there's a 100% tariff slapped on it, guess what the EU's going to do? There's going to be a 777 for Air France, there's going to be a 100% tariff. And the whole market is going to be under threat. So it's, it's really stupid. So, you know, aircraft are not uh, sugar, wine, cheese. They're significant purchases. They require long lead times for production, customization. Uh, fleet optimization, schedule planning. So they can't be held hostage, as you can with French wine uh, and um, consumables like that. So uh, these added costs will, as I said earlier, be passed um, to companies uh, and to the consumer. Another little side story, you may have noticed that the latest addition to our Airbus family is the A220, the C-series aircraft. This addition was caused by tariffs. The Trump administration decided uh, to change their policy and let uh, Boeing 
make a domestic um, litigation attack against Canada for dumping uh, for the C-Series aircraft. And normally they would have gone to the WTO and there would have been a, a, a long dispute. At that stage, no one wanted to buy the C-Series. So Bombardier came to us and said, look, we want to partner with you. So we took this on and we have our building um, a final assembly line in Mobile, Alabama in order to avoid the threat of a uh, export from Canada to the US because of this, there may be a, a future litigation action. So in some ways, they shot themselves in the foot but by using tariff as a weapon, I think you should use your skills, your innovation, your marketing, and, and, and not to try to use the law uh, to get a competitive advantage. So in some ways, uh, Bombardier fell into the C-Series aircraft, fell into our lap, and we're going to make a success of it. And you've seen that at, Farm, uh, Farmbra, at Le Bourget, the years passed quickly, uh, we had an order of 75, firm order of 75 aircraft, which is good news. And what was the reaction of Boeing? The reaction was to acquire the civil business of Embraer. So this is not the... We're happy to have the C-Series, obviously, but the genesis of it is, is, is linked to tariffs, which is crazy. So, um, and perhaps I can add this, that there's no such thing as a European aircraft or a U.S. aircraft, if you take a, an A330 powered by GE engines, it's 40% U.S. content. Um, the 787 uh, has, ha, have so many partners outside the U.S. So the whole, the very idea of saying this is an American aircraft, this is a European aircraft, is, 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 is really difficult to follow. So we're doing everything we can. As you can see, it's not my uh, favorite uh, subject. Uh, we want to prevent this trade war, but fasten your seatbelts because the time is running and we are looking over the cliff at the moment. Um, so with that in mind, and I would imagine that's a surprise to many people in this room because it hasn't really been in the press, but it really could very adversely affect the whole aviation market and it's a big threat. So just taking that into account, I want to turn to um, why I believe uh, contrary to the, the fashion now, is that Europe must work even closer together than we have in the past. Um, for Airbus, an integrated Europe is at the core of what we do and who we are. Um, the euro, people hate the euro, but the euro allowed us to undertake significant investments in Europe, including in the UK, without considering exchange risks, um, the, value, the, the value of investment wasn't influenced by currency changes. This is a massive benefit, and it has helped in the, the, the success of Airbus. Um, you know, the days of the franc, the Deutschmark, the peseta, and the lira and spot rates is behind us. So uh, if you think of the daily flow of goods, of parts, traveling all over Europe, if all that needed to be traded at daily spot rates, it would have a very big impact in terms of volatility. So the euro has some positive aspects too. Um, look at some of the pan-EU projects, uh, Eurofighter, the Typhoon, the A400M, military satellites, launcher technology. These are all a consequence of the success, commercial success of EADS, which became Airbus, because that financial muscle enabled us to invest in other projects. So 
it's all linked, and, and, and Airbus is the biggest defence company in Europe. Uh, this is not an accident. This is because of the success that we've been able to have on the civil side and then invest uh, globally uh, in our other businesses, helicopters, defence and space. So um, all that to say that the work of the last 50 years can easily be undone if the correct political and legal framework do not support Airbus in its next chapter. So please, my message would, do, would be do not underestimate the importance of these frameworks. So I'm now going to move to the B word, and it's not Boris, it's Brexit. Um, I, you will have seen in the press, uh, first of all, I think it was in November, in February, we felt compelled to speak up and to speak out on Brexit. Uh, on Europe, on defending Europe's interest, uh, the importance to Airbus, and the importance to the United Kingdom to Airbus. Uh, I think it was Sir John Parker who said that without the wings, Airbus is just a bus. Well, all the wings come from here, from the UK. And uh, a few figures, uh, we, we, we're employing 14,000 people in the UK. Um, the annual turnover is £6 billion, pounds, and we're supporting over 100,000 jobs through our supply chain. Um, and I'm not counting the 5,000 jobs in Belfast. Uh, all the wings on the new member of the family, A220, are made at shorts, acquired by Bombardier, in Belfast. So uh, the UK is the world's centre of excellence on wings, and many engineers will say that the most noble part of the aircraft are the wings, because that's what makes it fly. So, whilst I acknowledge that some policymakers believe that the future of UK's defence cooperation points away from Europe, um, we, Airbus, employ more people in the UK and generate more revenues here than all of the US defence primes in the UK added together. And that's an important fact. Just a few months ago, I had the pleasure an honour of visiting our new £40 million state-of-the-art wing integration centre in Bristol, which is poised to design and integrate the wing of the future. So Airbus, wings is Airbus UK, and we're investing for the future. Um, and this week, yesterday, in partnership with the Welsh Government and Academia, we opened a new cyber innovation hub in our facility in Newport. So Airbus is also a leader in cyber security. There is a cyber war going on as we speak. Uh, com big companies are being attacked uh, left, right and centre every day. We have thousands of attacks. So cyber security is an absolute must and this is something that we're investing in and the government's supporting us, particularly the Welsh government. So what Airbus does for the UK's economy and defence is very important um, and if you look behind these figures um, you will see a, a deep-rooted sense of place and purpose in this country uh, because it's the ecosystem goes back. We, if we, we look at Hawker Siddeley, De Havilland, British Aerospace, these are companies with hundreds of years of experience and we want to stay in the UK, we must stay in the UK because that ecosystem has developed over time and you just don't develop it in one day. So the UK is important to us um, and in addition, when you come to the UK, you have a set, you, you really feel a sense of pride. 
generations. My grandfather worked here. I was in Broughton. Uh, Broughton was basically set up in 1946, so it was without outside the bomber range or German bombers. But there are families who spent their whole lives working in our industry. So that's why Brexit is such an important issue for us and such a headache. Uh, and it, it could affect our competitiveness. And I'm not, I'm not preaching uh, Remain or Brexit. I'm talking as a business person here. I'm not, I don't give any, my personal position is irrelevant. I'm talking about a business needs certainty. We need to uh, be able to operate in a place where we know what the rules are and what the rules are going to be. And that's what we've been saying. Just sort it out, please. We've been seeing ministers, we saw the Prime Minister, and we said, just get your act together, please. It's a disgrace. Um, so I have the misfortune of being the coordinator of our Brexit uh, strategy with the operational people. It's very painful. Um, you may realise, you may not, that we have about 80,000 business trips between the UK and the continent just Airbus employees. So if you add 15 minutes delay to each of those trips and you add all that up, that's a lot of delay and it's unacceptable. Um, so we have around 1,900 staff who are on cross-channel expatriation contracts um, and we've made a choice to support our British employees in France and Germany with citizenship applications and in the UK to support EU employees registering for the government's new scheme. Um, We've had to gather around four weeks of stock in the UK, and we've asked suppliers to deliver earlier to ensure that if, if there is, a after, after Halloween, there is a, a crisis that the, and the borders begin to clog up, uh, that we're, age, we're able to mitigate those risks. So we spend a lot of time, and we've spent a significant amount of money on that, and it's a, it's a pain. You know, why should we have to do that? Um, so with less than four months to go, the future shape of the UK's relations with the EU and its member countries is very unclear. It's unclear as it has been. So uh, preparing for this has a cost in terms of time and money, and we appeal again to the UK to sort themselves out. Um, any international business making investment decisions, um, you, 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 you need to have certainty, and that certainty is not there. And our organization, um, integration, it, 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 it's set up based on the free movement of people, goods, resource and capital around Europe. That's key to our success for the last 40 years. So we can't throw that away. And I think we're right to speak up. So anything that damages that status quo from our perspective needs to be looked at in terms of its potential impact on our competitiveness. Because being competitive is how we have survived in the last 50 years. By the way, our factories in the UK are probably the most efficient uh, in terms of productivity. And we don't want to lose this competitiveness, um, either through increased financial or regulatory burden, or through lack of clarity. So if our competitiveness is undermined, then our future is undermined. So there's a lot at stake, um, not least real investment decisions. At some stage in the future, we will think about the next generation of aircraft, the next generation of wings. We're preparing for that. But this, these decisions could have serious implications for what we do in the UK. Um, so what we need most urgently is, as I've said three times now, uh, is for politicians from all sides to come together and pass a pragmatic agreement 
that, I, that sorts the situation out. I don't really care whether it's Brexit, Remain, but just sort it out. So the final subject um, that I wanted to talk to you about is protectionism. Um, and if you, the two subjects I've mentioned so far, Brexit and WTO, these are external political things affecting our business. That's what's new. In the past, we've had business challenges. But this is Donald Trump, uh, the referendum in the UK. So what has, what has changed is that exterior forces that are not linked to day-to-day -day business are affecting our business, and that's, that's a real phenomenon of today. So if you look around the world, and even in the most recent European election results, um, we are seeing more extremism, uh, more nationalism, um, and Britain, for example, has always been the model for rational politics and decision-making, uh, sober, pragmatic business decisions. Um, and and of, as I said, with Brexit, that is now this long-standing reputation is at risk. But it's not just the UK. It's France. We have the gilets jaunes, the, 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 the uh, yellow vests, uh, demonstrating every weekend. In Germany, we don't know whether the coalition government's going to survive. So the, the solid foundations uh, that made Airbus what it is are beginning to creak, and that's worrying for us too. So um, now, I've been rather pessimistic, um, but I, I, obviously there's a note of caution, but there's also one of optimism. First of all, caution. Um, if Airbus didn't exist today, we'd have to invent it. But would we, be cap would we be able to do that today? I'm not sure whether the political will to create an Airbus uh, with 134,000 people, with a 65 million turnover, uh, with a market cap of nearly 100 billion, biggest exporter. Exporters, you know, the money that comes to make us exist comes from the, from the exports. So it's so important for our economy. Um, would the individual nations of Europe have come together to challenge the US hegemony? Uh, I'm, I fear that that wouldn't be the case. So we are facing, as I said, growing protectionism, the stark threat of a no-deal Brexit, and the challenge of ever-increasing political intrusion into business. We just want to sell aircraft, beautiful flying machines that are safe and make money. Um, so we have our challenges. Uh, we're ramping up our A320 production, um, and we are trying to maintain our safety record. We're tackling our environmental footprint, as I said. And there's a huge amount of innovation, because obviously we need to look, about, we look to the future. This is an exciting time. So we need to change. Um, and we need to adapt to new business models and, and new demands of society. So for, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Voom, which is a, basically an application, which is an on-demand helicopter service. In Sao Paulo, it's terrible traffic, even worse than London. Mexico City, uh, it's Uber of the sky. And this is, we're investing in this to sell helicopters to this, to this app. Um, uh, this, these are business models that you, know, you wouldn't have even dreamt about 10 years ago. But now they're very much part of stakeholder society uh, and all our lives. We're putting huge efforts into uh, urban air mobility. Um, we, we've got a project called City Airbus, which is an all-electric four-seat multi-copter vehicle that will take you from one place to another. So I think in 20, well, actually probably five to ten years, we will have flying machines, which will be taxis in cities. 
And where's our added value? Well, it's in the certification and safety because we, can, we have experience in that domain. So we are investing money in the future and we're thinking about how things are, how things are changing. Um, uh, remotely piloted, uh, electrical vertical takeoff and landing. Um, we're looking at more sustainable business. You may have heard of the EFAN X, which is an uh, electrification project that we're, uh, we're uh, sharing with Rolls-Royce um, so that we can ultimately integrate either a hybrid engine uh, or a completely electric engine on aircraft. So you'll have silent aircraft flying through the sky. So we need to be as bold as our founding fathers were 50 years ago. And like those pioneers, we'll need the support and the ecosystems and the political will that has driven Airbus to where it is today. So more than ever, our what does Airbus do? Airbus is like the internet. We connect people. Can you imagine the world without Airbus and Boeing? We wouldn't be traveling anywhere. So we connect citizens and we're able to defend our values by traveling, and, and obviously part of our role in the future will be to drive down our environmental impact. So all of those are huge challenges, but they're also great opportunities. Um, and we will need new sets of skills. So I talked about the 50,000 people, so if you're interested in applying, go ahead. Um, and that's what the new chapter is about. Um, and I hope some of you will join us on this journey. So that wasn't particularly legal, it was more political, but I think the political influence on where we're going is so huge today that uh, we have to address it. Thank you very much. From across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favourite social networks. If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. Visit www.aerosociety.com this content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.